Heavenly Father, thank you that we can have such a fun and safe game and exert a lot of energy as well. We pray that you would protect us tonight from any distractions around us, from our own thought processes, that we would be in tune with what your will is, that we would allow you to shape our thought process as we look at how the word of God, your word, re renovates our mind when we allow it and depend upon it to do so. Thank you for loving us, for sending your son to die on the cross for us. May we recognize the relationship we have and can have with you by depending upon you and your word to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans 12, 1 to 2. This is part 5. We've been in here before. What we are looking at tonight is what I mentioned last week called the data evaluation principle. Fancy word, that basically, or fancy phrase that basically means that you evaluate information that you pick up through your senses and you determine whether it's got value to you or not. Now, we're not going to get too involved with it tonight. We'll introduce the concept. And then we'll carry on next week with a little more detail involved with the actual process of exchanging the information. So let's see where we get tonight in the next 20 minutes or so. In Romans 12:1, Paul is exhorting church-age believers to come alongside of him and do what he is doing. He says that he is presenting his body as a living and holy sacrifice to God, and he is saying that all believers are to do the same thing. Now, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this is the Holy Spirit's command. When we looked at the original language of this writing, the Koine Greek, we found that this was in the imperative mood, identifying that it is a command we as believers are supposed to obey. This is something we are to do, and that something to do is to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, we identified, too, from verse 1, that this word living is referring to spiritually living, being spiritually alive. This word holy means set apart for service. Acceptable means well-pleasing to God. And we identified that the only way that either of those three things is possible is if you depend upon Christ to be your Savior. And when we got down to this last phrase, phrase which says, which is your spiritual service of worship, we identified that the sum total of all of this is us walking, living spiritually the way God originally designed Adam and Eve to function, and now through Christ has made it available for us to be spiritually alive and then to function spiritually. Back a long time ago, we studied 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And in that first four verses of the book of 1 John, John was writing and saying that Jesus was a physical man who lived on this earth, but that he operated spiritually, and that he was both fully man, fully God, and that as he spent time on earth, he was spiritually operating, not just physically operating. So he was here in the flesh, but his thought process was spiritual. His operation was spiritual. He was producing things from his human spirit led by the Holy Spirit. And he is our prototype. That is our spiritual service of worship, to obey God, doing his will, following his thought process, agreeing with him in every single capacity that we can, moment by moment. Now what happens for us is we don't do that. If we do that, we are in fellowship, but when we don't do that, we're out of fellowship. That's what we referred to earlier about being a disobedient child. For us, it's not a matter of whether or not our sins are charged to us. If you're a believer in Christ, your sins are charged to Jesus Christ. They have been redeemed and taken care of at the cross. So now it's just you and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Are you in a right, obedient relationship with God or not? When we are in line with God, we are in a right relationship. We're doing what He says to do. He's leading us. We're following Him. When we're not, we are being led by something else. 
what we identified from verse 2 is that that other thing that leads us and that we're molded to is this world. And it uses three areas, it's one called sensuality, one called materialism, and one called egoism, to guide us and deceive us into thinking that these things are better than what God has provided for us. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This phrase, do not, we identified from the Greek text, was the emphatic may, meaning stop being conformed. We looked at the definition for that word, and we saw that conformed meant to be molded by external pressure, to change who you are in your appearance, based upon pressure from the outside forming you. Now what we found was that we participate in being conformed. We participate in being molded to this world. Now, remember we said that you're molded by external pressure and it's shaping the outside of you. It's shaping how you look, how you represent what's on the inside. It doesn't actually change who you are on the inside. Who are you on the inside as a child of God? You're his child. You are redeemed. You are saved. You're in Christ. And here he says you're holy and blameless. So even though you look like the world and are walking like the world, you're a child in disobedience. But so long as you've accepted Christ to be your Savior and dependent upon him to take away your sins, you, on the inside, are still a child of God. So you may not look like it on the outside, but on the inside, if you have genuinely depended upon Christ to be your Savior, you are still a child of God. That's part of what it means to be molded by external pressure, to change the outward appearance, to fit a mold without changing the insides. Now, the world, we identified, has three categories of sin, sensuality, materialism, and egoism. Sensuality is satisfaction of the senses. Materialism is the pursuit of material possessions, and egoism refers to pride or the pursuit of self-value, proclaiming yourself to be, thinking yourself to be more valuable than those around you. So those three categories are all that is in the world. In fact, in 1 John 2, 16 and 17, John writes that, and he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, which is sensuality, the lust of the eyes, which is materialism, and the boastful pride of life, which is egoism, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Where do these things come from? Not God the Father, but from the world. The world, it says, is passing away, and also its lusts. So these things will go away. Your dominant pattern of lust that fits into one of these three categories is going away with the world, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So what happens when we are molded by external pressure to look like this world is that we're being deceived in these three areas and predominantly one over the other two. So you'll find if you take a look at those things that you're attracted to the most, it will either be in the area of satisfying your senses, in the area of pursuing material possessions or physical objects, or in the area of pride. You'll find that one of those is dominant over the other two. All of them will probably be there, but you'll find a trend towards one over the other two. So that's how the world molds us, and we participate in that because this is a part of us. The reason we have a dominant desire or tendency in one of these three areas is because of this thing called our flesh. It's a part of us. It's a part of our body. It's a part of our DNA. In fact, that we are born with it. And that's why one of these three areas appeals to us more than the other two. 
And if you pay attention to those things in your life that you know the Bible says are wrong, and identify which category they fit into, pride, sensuality, materialism, find out how many you've got in each category, take a look at it, and you'll find your dominant one. Now, why would you ever want to do that? So that you know where it is that you're going to be deceived naturally. So you know where it is that you'll have a tendency to pursue things outside of what God's provided. That's what we want to do. We want to stop being conformed to this world through these three areas and our desire and start being molded or shaped from the inside to the outside. So stop being, stop participate in being molded externally by this world. But on the other hand, and this is emphatic too, you could actually put, if you wanted to, exclamation points there. In fact, in my computer program, it does that for me. It says, and do not, or stop, being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another command given to stop this process and start doing this process. Now, we've looked at this before. This is all review. But the transformation means to be changed from the inside to the outside. To be changed from the inside to the outside. Now, there's a process that takes place that does this. Now, who are you on the inside if you are a believer in Jesus Christ? You're a child of God. And we said when we are told to stop being conformed to this world, that we're supposed to stop letting our outside match the world so that the inside of us can match, the, match our true identity in Christ. And if we're to be transformed, then we're supposed to be changed from the inside to the outside, but we're not supposed to change who we are in Christ. What it's identifying is letting that change our thought process so that what's on the inside comes to the outside and people can see that. In other words, if you're a spiritual being, start letting the Holy Spirit change your thought process so that what is on the inside comes to the outside in your behavior. We cannot in this life, and this is going to sound terrible, it's going to go against Christianity in quotes in general these days, but we cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot make ourselves better. The only thing that can do that is the Holy Spirit who has our cooperation to say, yes, do what you want to do in me. The Bible never commands us to do it ourselves. In fact, here the command is in the passive tense, meaning allow something else to change you. What is it that changes you here? Well, the renovation of your mind is the process and it's the Holy Spirit teaching you God's word, who God is, what he's promised, what he says, his protocols, we call them, the way he says to do things. Changing your thoughts to match those thoughts so that when a situation comes up, you do what God would have done instead of what you would have done. And that's why we can never change ourselves, because the reality is, if we are changing ourselves, we are operating carnally out of fellowship with God. We are never the one who is supposed to change ourselves. All we are supposed to do is, like Paul exhorted in verse 1, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice so that while we spend time in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit can teach us and train us and discipline us through repetitious training to do God's will instead of our own. Now, we don't do that, at least not very well. We see something shiny, bait in the trap towards sensuality, materialism, or pride, and we go, ooh, I want that. 
We step outside of fellowship with God to pursue this meaningless, nothing thing that gives us satisfaction for a moment, but causes heartbreak, chaos, destruction, ultimately. We're supposed to be changed from the inside to the outside by the renovation of our mind. This word renewing is anakinosin in the Greek, and it means to take out the old thing and put in something new. What is it that's being renovated here? The mind. Now, I've got a diagram, which we'll see in a few weeks. It's still partly being developed, but here's part of it. This is your mind, and it says left over here and right over here because left side, right side. We're looking at the front of the brain. So as you look at it, you're going to go, that's backwards. But as it faces out, it's left side and right side. And what we'll find is that this side is programmable, and this side is about comprehension, what you understand. And as you get things from the world, like something in the area of sensuality, you perceive it, you understand it, you go, hey, that will satisfy my taste. That will satisfy my sense of smell. That will make me feel good on the inside. And you say, I'm going to depend upon that to produce a result inside of me if perhaps you're a sensualist. And so we take what we can learn here, what we understand and perceive in our left frontal lobe, and we depend upon it, and that programs our conscience. It programs what we call our norms and standards, the things that we do typically, not yet, quite yet. Um, takes 21 days to break a habit or start a new one. Thank you. I had to run the sentence in my head because I couldn't remember the word habit. So not yet habits, these are the things that like when a situation pops up, you're like, okay, I can lie to my parents or I can not lie to my parents. Which choice am I going to make? You got two options. Your conscience is going to go, hey, you already know lying's wrong. That's been programmed, all right? But if you choose to lie, you're going to say, no, lying is fine here. It gives me a result that I like. And you depend upon that to produce a result for you. So we'll get, we'll get to see this a little bit more as it continues to be developed. But we can program our conscience, we can program our norms and standards, and the more we do the same thing over and over again, we build what's called reflexive behavior, which we call habits. Things that we don't really think about, they just happen and ju we just do them. And that can either go towards doing the things of the world, through conforming to the world, or it can go towards God's will by doing His will instead of our own. We'll get back to that diagram later. So this renovation process means to take out the old and replace what's new. So you're going to take out the things in your conscience that are wrong. You're going to take out your norms and standards that are wrong. And you're going to replace them. The Holy Spirit's going to replace them with God's word and what he says is right and true. So perhaps growing up in this world, you learned that lying was right or cheating was right. The Holy Spirit says, no, that's wrong. You have to choose to depend upon that to be wrong and depend upon doing the right thing instead to produce the right result. And you say yes to that, you've now depended upon the Holy Spirit instead of what you think, and it produces righteousness from inside of you to the outside. We'll look at that process a little more in depth as we get going next week. Now there's a purpose to this, and I want to establish the purpose before we go back to the renovation process next week. The purpose to this, the reason for the renovation of our mind, of our thought process, is so that we can prove what the will of God is. Now, this word prove is dokumazin, or dokumazo, and it means to test something against a standard. Now, if you don't know the standard, you can't hold something to it. Does that make sense? If you don't know what's right, you can't say that it's not right or it is wrong, or that it's not wrong, or that it's wrong or that it's right. Let's say that again. If you don't know what is right, you can't say something is wrong, or that something is right. You don't know. 
So we have to learn through this renovation process what God's will is so that when something comes up in our mind in our circumstances, we can go, hey, is this God's will? And you go, okay, I know God's will is love. I know God's will is sovereign. I know God's will is omnipotent, omnipresent. I know it's good. I know it's perfect. I know it's well-pleasing. Does this match that standard or does it not? Young ladies in this room, you have another standard that you're supposed to match also. And we're going to turn real quick to dating in the future. Hopefully, least 16. I'm just going to call that. I don't know what rules your parents have set for you, but 16, in my opinion, is a great age to say I'm not doing anything until I hit that age. One, you can't drive yet. So what are you going to do? Have his mom or his parents drive you around? Have your parents drive you around? Now, that's a good thing if you can't drive yet. Why? Because it's supervision. Now, two, at age 16, you're not quite ready to get married yet. In fact, you can't legally in the United States of America get married without a permission slip below the age of 18. But, and we have a point to this, so just hang in there. But, you can start preparing yourself for whoever God has matched you with. Whoever he has developed you as a female to complement. Now, let's get out of that preparation side and why 16. But, ladies, for you guys, you have a standard about who and what love is. You can look to 1 Corinthians and it says love is patient. Love is kind. You can go through that list in 1 Corinthians 13 and read all the things that love is. And the next time you have a crush on someone or you get asked maybe, hey, by their friend, hey, this person likes you. Do you like them? You want me to tell them that? And you go back and forth that whole telephone game. Did that once. It wasn't fun. I was not the one that promoted it. I was being asked surprisingly, to my surprise at least. So the next time that happens, instead of saying, yeah, because you're excited or whatever, or no, because you're like, no, take a look for a second. Put that person's name and what you know about that person in that standard, in that list. Say, so-and-so is patient. So-and-so is kind. So-and-so is, does it match that standard? Nope. Walk away. Now, it doesn't mean that person can't become that, but he's not that yet or she's not that yet, so if you've done, all right? Let God take care of that. Okay, side note, we can deal a little more with that sometime else. But we have a standard that is God's word that we can match things to and test things against. And that's the goal. Our job is to prove what the will of God is. Now, we've already dealt with Jonah a few weeks back, actually about two months ago now. We looked at Jonah and we identified that there's three types of God's will. Directive, permissive, and overruling. And when we looked at this... We identify that if we are in a right relationship with God, we are following a specific type of God's will. Do you remember which one? If you know it, go ahead and shout it out. Okay, everyone at once. Directive will. Perfect. Nailed it. You guys did great. All right, the directive will. Why is that the one that is if we're in fellowship? Because the directive will says that we are following God directs us to do. His permissive will says we are following what he's allowing us to do. I mean, we're leading ourselves. We're choosing for ourselves what we're going to do. That's not how a Christian way of life works. That's not how a right relationship with God works. He directs us moment by moment. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18 that our job is to be saturated to the point of control by the Holy Spirit by denying ourselves so much that we are allowing him to lead us instead of us to lead us. The overruling will of God is what we see when God allows us to make our own choices and he stops us through circumstance saying, no, you've chosen to disobey me, but I'm going to keep you from being able to do that through this circumstance that pops up. We were here are trying to prove what the directive will of God is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. So the directive will is what God directs an individual to do. 
And you have to be in a right relationship with God in order to follow his direction. Let's go back to Romans 12, 2. So the will of God that's here is what God is directing you as a believer in him to do moment by moment, which means you have to be in a fellowship to understand that because he's spiritual. He, exp- he communicates spiritually to us. And if you're out of fellowship, the Holy Spirit cannot lead you, although he still indwells you. The Bible says he changes from teaching and leading to convicting, showing you where you're wrong. So our job is to let the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, transform our thought process by taking out those things we've depended upon that we learned from this world system and replace them with God's word, with his truth, his thought process. The purpose for that is so that we can prove what his will is. Which means if you want to know what God's directive will for your life is, you've got to know his word. Because his word is what we bounce off, those feelings, those thoughts we get that says, is God asking me to do this? Is this what he wants me to do? Well, does it match God's word? If not, it's not what he wants you to do. Solve that problem. Now, if it was only that easy, because usually we look at it and go, well, it doesn't really match what God's word says there, but what if that's, no, no question there. If it doesn't match, it's not his will. Well, it's ours, and that's where the problem comes into. We still want it, especially if we can justify it as what God wants for us. If we can deceive ourselves or be deceived into thinking that God wants us to do something that's contrary to his word, then we will feel like we are fully capable to do it. And we'll feel like there's no reason not to. But we make God a liar when we do that. Because he said in his word that those things were wrong. Now, here's a simple way of understanding what's God's will in part. God's will is good. It's acceptable. And it's perfect. Those three words, good means inherently valuable. It has value in and of itself because it's righteous. One of the hardest things you can learn in your life is that everything that God tells you is what's best for you. If you can get that part down, if you can actually believe that and depend upon that every moment, then it doesn't matter what you want. If you know what he wants, that's all you care about. And if you believe and depend upon that that's the best thing for you, then it won't matter what you want because you'll realize as soon as you know what he wants, that's the best thing, you go for it. That's what good means. Inherently valuable because it's righteous and it matches that standard. Acceptable means that it's well-pleasing. It produces a pleasant result. Now, it's not going to produce a pleasant result humanly. Like, we might not enjoy the process, but at the end, it's kind of like, I guess, if you want a simple analogy, have you ever done a hard day's work? Like, I mean, sun up to sundown, working outside with your hands or something, you get all dirty, you get done, you're just exhausted, but you see this thing you've done, you're like, oh, that's good. And you're like bone tired. Anything like that ever happened to you? No one does hard work in here? Come on, I know that's not true. Okay, so, so it's the idea of being, being okay with what you produced on the other end, even though it was a lot of work. So it's not, gonna, not saying that you will enjoy every aspect of it, but there will be something that's pleasing. But you know what this word's really talking about? What is well-pleasing to God, not to us. So it's not this human idea. It's focusing on what is pleasing to God. And if it's pleasing to God, then it's still what's best for us. The last part, what's perfect, and we'll end with this tonight. What is perfect here, the Greek word is to lie on, and it means complete. It's not missing anything. Okay, it's not missing anything. It's fully formed. It's not missing a piece of information that it could have had if you'd paid more attention or if someone had given it to you. It's just perfect. It's complete. There's nothing lacking. The will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit teach us God's word depend upon what he teaches us 
And the word of God will change us from the inside to the outside. It's not our job to change us. It's our job to let the Holy Spirit teach us and to depend upon what he says instead of what we feel or perceive. We'll look at the renovation process next week. For now, just like Paul says in verse 2, focus on stop being conformed to this world. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. God the Father is faithful and just to forgive you of them, to cleanse you from them, and to put you back in a right relationship with him where the Holy Spirit teaches you and leads you again. Focus on your sins. Are you sinning? If you sin, confess it. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, that's not for you. You first need to have your sins paid for before you can be in a relationship with God. And that's what you need to take care of there. It's pretty simple there. God loved the world. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all the world's sins. The penalty for sin is death. Every person has sinned, therefore every person owes God death. That death is eternal separation from him in the lake of fire. Fire is a symbol of judgment where you're burned but never consumed. You never burn up. It's like an eternal bonfire. But even though that's what we rightfully owe God, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that as a righteous sacrifice, he could pay the penalty on our behalf. All of humanity's sins are paid for. The question comes down to whether you're going to lake of fire or whether you're going to heaven for eternity. Only the question that you have to answer is, is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you're going to depend upon to pay your sins or not? You let God know that you're depending upon his son to pay the penalty for your sins, it's done. Now you're a child of God. Now you operate in fellowship. And we can teach you more about that week in and week out here at Youth Group. So let's pray, and then we'll dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many ways in your word that you teach us, not just that we need to have a relationship with you, but that we can through your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that you don't just drop it there and say, okay, now figure out how to be my children and walk the way I tell you to, but that you, through your word, have revealed everything we need that pertains to spiritual life and to godliness, the manifestation of your behavior to this world. May we pay attention to our relationship with you. May that become our focus amidst all the things that we have responsibilities to take care of. In Jesus' name, amen.